In the land of God's first heartache, when our line of sin began, and the eyes of men were opened to the evil there at hand, the Creator heard the footsteps, but He did not see the man, and God called out for an answer, but He turned away and the Father fled compassion, and with a fast forgiving hand, took the life of one yet blameless, and made a covering for the man. Offer up the sacrifice, creation sent forth the singing about? It was the Lord, amen? He was the only acceptable sacrifice, the only one that could get the job done. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. He was willing to come and take our place on Calvary. Praise God. Well, take your Bible, turn over the book of Acts tonight, Acts chapter 22. We're going to begin in verse 6. We're going to read through verse 10. Acts chapter 22. We're going to read about a very familiar 
character in the Bible to kick things off. A man by the name of Paul. Acts chapter 22, beginning verse 6. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey, and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? He said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord said unto me, Arise and go unto Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Notice in verse 10, What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? We know that Paul ultimately followed the command of the Lord. We know that he ultimately obeyed Christ. And we understand uh, that as he stood before King Agrippa, that he was very clear that he had not been disobedient to the heavenly vision, that he had fulfilled and followed through with everything that God had commanded him to do. And that is a testimony indeed, isn't it? To think that someone would have continued to obey God as though he, he were right there before him. There on that road, he spoke to him, what shall I do, Lord? And he said, I'll tell you what you're going you're gonna to do. And boy, I'll tell you what, Paul did exactly what he was told to do. Well, tonight, I'd like to believe that everyone in the room would immediately obey God when he speaks. I'd like to believe that. I'd like to be able to say that there's never been a time in my life when I've either questioned or hesitated when called upon to obey him. But that wouldn't be true either. Sadly, too often we can be found tardy in obedience. Jesus shares a story about two sons and their father over in the book of Matthew. Turn, if you would, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 through 31. Kim, I want to apologize to you for being so quick with that. It just struck me funny. My heart's been broken all afternoon. I'm sorry about that. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. The Bible says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now we have a story of two sons, and of course, both were required to go into the field. One of them says, I'll go. Never did. The other one said, I don't want to go. I don't think I'm going to do that. Next thing you know, he does go. Now, of course, we know that in the end, one of them did obey. But I do note that he was tardy in his obedience. The fact is, is that he should have just said yes to his father and been in the field. At least we'll give him credit. He at least went and did what he was told. But you know, sadly enough, God really demands and desires of us immediate obedience. 
The best way to be blessed of God is to do what God says immediately, the moment He asks. When we fail to do what we're told to do, we often waste years out of the will of God and in the world. When we fail to obey Him immediately, we often invite heartaches that very well could have been avoided. Time wasted is time lost. There's no way to get more time. Jesus Christ made it very clear that we have a great work to do and He even said Himself that while it was day, uh, be, uh, that He had to work while it was day because the night cometh when no man can work. So we have a great work to do and we have much to accomplish and we have many things that God would have us to do. But if we fail to be obedient immediately, if we don't do exactly what He says when He says, we could miss out on a number of things and waste a number of, maybe not just minutes or hours, but weeks, months, or years. It should be abundantly clear to every single one of us that obeying the Lord is a good life. It ought to be. And disobeying the Lord is the toughest road in life to travel. No amount of sacrifice or discomfort could be worse than a life riddled with conviction and the consequences of living in rebellion to the Savior. Paul was asked the question, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? He says, what shall I do? He asked the question. His response, obedience. Tonight, what's your response? What's your response? I want to share tonight some reasons why we fail to obey God immediately and without question. I'm going to give you five simple ones, real fast. But five reasons why we fail to obey God immediately. And so let's take just a few moments and consider those. <clears throat> Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the testimony of the Apostle Paul and his willingness to obey you immediately. Father, i got to believe and... Again, Lord, I'm just basing it on the fact that he was just a mere human, that there probably were times when he did disobey or possibly delayed in obedience. But Lord, from the Word of God, we don't see any reason to believe that. We're not given any insight into that. So, Lord, I'm not going to surmise that he did. I'm just going to say that, well, I hope that my testimony will be as his is. I want to obey you that way too. But, Lord, honestly, I haven't always done that. And, Lord, I know, Father tonight that there are a number of reasons why people will say they didn't obey or use as excuses for not obeying. But Lord, help us, Father, to maybe realize that they're not really good ones and that they hold no water, that one day when we stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ, there'll be no excuse for not being obedient immediately, to obey the moment you command, speak, and ask. Bless us tonight. We'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, <clears throat> the first reason why I believe we fail to obey God immediately or without question is fear. Fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <clears throat> In Joshua 1, 9, when the children of Israel were preparing to go into the promised land and Joshua was taking the reins of leadership from Moses, God shows up in Joshua 1, 9 and says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. 
For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. We see that fear had probably gripped the heart of this young man or this, this leader. He probably wasn't as young as we would like to believe really at that point. He had been following and serving under Moses' leadership for some time. But fear had to grip his heart. I'm sure as he thought about leading the millions of Israelites into the promised land, going to do something that even Moses himself was not going to do. He probably thought to himself, I don't know if I'm adequate. I don't know if I'm capable. I don't know if I can get the job done. I'm not sure if they're, the enemy is stronger than us. I know the promises of God, but boy, I'm still human, Lord. I'm struggling a little bit. And God comes to him and speaks and says, Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Fear could have easily kept him from being obedient. Fear could have paralyzed him and fear could have kept him from serving the Lord as he had been called to do. He could have maybe even been to the place where God would have had to have replaced him if he wouldn't have taken those steps. And many times we have things that God speaks to us about and we're fearful and we're afraid. I can think also even just like the ministry and some of the young men or maybe some of you older men, maybe you feel the prodding and the calling of God in your life, but you find yourself withstanding God instead of surrendering and submitting to God. Not because you don't love God, not because you don't want to, want to please the Lord, but because you're just downright scared. Of what the future holds. Afraid. Fear will keep us from immediately obeying God. I mean, we stand there at the the gas pump or possibly in the grocery store line and the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us and tells us to pass out a track. And what's the reason why we don't immediately obey? Fear. Fear. Boy, fear will grip our hearts. It'll paralyze us for, uh, for, for, for in the work of God. It'll keep us from accomplishing what God's called us to do. Well, I'll tell you what, if anybody could have been afraid, it could have been the Apostle Paul, I'm sure, there on that road to Damascus, there all of a sudden being told, listen, I've got a work for you to do. There's going to be some things that you're going to do that are going to go contrary to everything you've ever thought of and dreamed of. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to make a lot of enemies because the very friends you have are going to hate your guts the moment you start doing and serving for me. Well, I'll tell you what he could have said, man, I don't know about that, man. There's just too make a change on the, on the horizon. I don't think I can do that. That's scary. But he didn't. He, imme- he immediately obeyed the Lord. See, fear will do that to us. Have you ever been afraid and it kept you from obeying God? I mean, I think we've all been there. Somehow, some way. Number two, not only fear, but <clears throat> another thing that will keep us from obeying God immediately and without question is flesh is the flesh. Look, if you will, in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Well, that's obvious. Somebody that obeys God abides forever. But notice what's in the world, and notice what we're going to face and what we're going to fight constantly and continually. We're going to fight the flesh. The lust of the eyes, the, 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 the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the issues that we're going to face and deal with. <clears throat> if we really believe there's a heaven 
we really believe there's a God in heaven, then we have to also believe that book that tells us that this world and what it's all about is diametrically opposed to what God is all about. We, we get way too comfortable in the world. We get way too settled in the world. Sadly enough, it will often keep us from obeying God immediately. The fact is, is that we become unwilling to let go of our demands, our desires, our dreams. Our ambitions get in the way. I mean, our lust for fellowship, our lust for fame and fortune, those have a tendency to drown out the pleas of Christ in His Word. We find ourselves unwilling to yield to Christ because there are some things that we want, desire, and feel we need. And even though Christ may be calling for them, crying out to us, asking us to either surrender them, submit them, give them up, although God may be telling us to to yield our life in a certain area, we say, man, listen, I have my dreams, I have my goals, I have my direction, I have my ways. The flesh, it'll get in the way of obeying God immediately. There is no room for obedience to Christ if indeed we're obeying our flesh and fulfilling our own desires. It just won't happen. And again, you know, I believe that young believers need to be given a lot of latitude and a lot of, demonstrate a lot of grace. But we also have to realize there comes a point in our Christian maturity that we have to draw some lines in the sand and say, you know what, partial obedience is not obedience. Because I give half or because I yield a portion of what God's asking me for, that is not truly obedience. And as we grow in Christ, we are aware of that. Sometimes we like to convince ourselves otherwise, but we know the reality of it. Flesh. Flesh will keep us from obeying God immediately and without question. Number three, folly, folly. The Bible admonishes us to be sober-minded. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, a familiar passage, you might even be able to quote it, some of you, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Notice again, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because there's an adversary. Why? Because we're in a battle. There's a warfare taking place. Because your life, my life, and the lives of those around us depend on us being serious-minded, sober-minded. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul makes a statement. He says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now I'm going to tell you, the honest truth is, is that children are very, very selfish. They are very childish and careless. And we say, well, that's because they're kids. And I would say, indeed. And that's why we as parents and grandparents and others in authority have a responsibility to discipline and train and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, helping them to break that cycle of selfishness. 
<clears throat> helping them to understand that they must be able to, as we talked about this morning, uh, be temperate, temper, uh, express temperance in their life, self-control. But one of the reasons why we fail to obey God immediately and without question is that we are very childish ourselves. We are very careless ourselves. We're very selfish ourselves. We act like a bunch of little children. Dad tells us to do something and we want to buck him. We want to argue. We want to bow up. We want to say, no, I don't want to do it, Daddy. And that's really the reality. We're like a bunch of little kids sometimes. I want my own way. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want. I... We throw our little tantrums. Oh, now, of course, we're adults and so we're, we can get away with that. But God is our Father and we so often are like little children and we won't obey God immediately because we're just, we're just creatures of folly, foolishness, childishness, carelessness, selfishness. And that's a blessing, isn't it? To hear that stuff. That's good stuff. Thank you, preacher. That's a blessing. Thank you for calling me childish today. Well, aren't we really? Well, we're all that way. To some degree or another, some more than others, of course. Some of you ladies would think your husbands are really that way. If I could, some of you would. At the, the couples conference, I know that that had been brought up a few times. Now, big babies, yeah. Fear, flesh, and folly. Number four. Another reason why we fail to obey God immediately and without question is we're forgetful. We're forgetful. You know what? We forget where we came from. Look, if you would, over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. I mean, we forget where we came from. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, we read, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Now again, the passage is basically saying to us, we're Gentiles. And, and those uncircum, we're the, we're the uncircumcision, and the circumcision are the Jews. And it's saying that in time past, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is the circumcision of the flesh made by hand. So the Jews talk about us and say to, are, are, are understanding us to be that group. He says that at that time, back then, ye were without Christ. You were not part of the, of Israel. You were not part of the, 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 the promised group. I mean, God was dealing with Israel. He wasn't dealing with the Gentile. He didn't have a real interest in you and I, so to speak, at that point. He, had total, he was totally consumed with his people. Matter of fact, when Christ came to earth, what did he tell him? Don't waste your time on those Gentiles. Go, go to the house of Israel. Go to the Jew. And so he went to the Jews. That's where he sent all of his disciples, to them first, to the Jew first. 
And so they looked at us and said, you're not part of all this mess. At that time, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't get in on all the good stuff. You didn't have all the oracles of God. You didn't have all those promises at your disposal. You didn't have that relationship with God at that point. And we were without hope because we were without God in this world. You know, that's where we come from. I mean, that's, that's where you came from. That's where I came from. We came from a situation where we had no hope at all. Where we had no God at all other than ourselves and the world in which we live. But look where you are today. See, we forget where we came from. God asks us to do something. God commands us to do something. Maybe it's in His Word or maybe it's in our hearts and we know that this is of the Lord and we know that we need to move forward with it and we can confirm it in Scripture. It's not something we're doing just on a whim or on our own or somehow believe in ourselves that this must be what God wants. No, we can point to it. We know it's God. And instead of immediately obeying God, we hesitate or we fail to obey. Why? Because we forget where we came from. We forget who we are. In John chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Look, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. I mean, we, we understand, we, we, we forget where we came from, yes, but now we forget who we are at times. I mean, we are the sons of God. We are the children of the Creator of all the universe. We're the offspring. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's you. That's me. We're peculiar people. I know you were peculiar. I just look around me. <laughs> we're all peculiar. But in indeed, we're peculiar in a much different sense, obviously. In that spiritual sense. We're God's children. We're God's people. We're called out of darkness into His marvelous light. In Revelation 1.5, the Bible says, Not only that, but, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, And the first begotten of the dead, And the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. He goes on to say that we are kings and priests. I mean, to tell you, we're washed in His blood. We've been made clean and whole. We're not that same creature we used to be. We're a new creature in Christ. And then we're kings and priests and we'll rule and reign with Jesus Christ during the millennium even. We forget where we came from. We forget who we are. And you know what? We forget how much we owe Him. We, we just downright forget how much we owe Him. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Take a look over there, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. There we read, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. What was the price that Jesus Christ paid so that you and I could be saved? It was His very lifeblood. It was literally being separated 
from his own father to literally have to give of his own self completely, wholly, without reservation. He suffered, he bled, he died. He gave it all for you and he gave it all for me. You know what, we're, we, 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 we go before God and He begins to share with us what He would have us to do and we hesitate or we fail to obey God. Why is that the case? Sometimes I think it's because we forget some things. We forget how much we owe Him. Well, that just seems a little bit unrealistic or that just seems a little bit over the top. I don't know, man. That just That's going to upset the apple cart. That's going to really make a a dent in my time. That's really going to affect my family. That's going to really take its toll on me and mine. We've forgotten how much we owe Him. We've forgotten. Some reasons we fail to obey God immediately and without question. Fear, flesh, folly. We're forgetful. And finally... I'm going to put the word we're in front of this, but we're fuming. You say, what do you mean? I'm not talking about like Pepe La Pew. <laughs> not, not that fuming. Okay, some of you remember old Pepe? You, he, old Pepe Le Pew, he used to, he was a little uh, skunk. Yeah, he was a skunk running around and he, he was a little ladies man. You know what I mean? Oh, Pepe, I like you. You look so good. I mean, he was just always on all that stuff, you know, and going after it. And then, you know, he was Pepe Le Pew. We're not talking about fuming that way. We're talking about fuming like burning up, angry, on fire, upset. Well, I'll tell you what, if there's, if you ever knocked on, if you've never knocked on enough doors, you'll run into somebody that is mad at God. And you know what they're not doing? Obeying Him. Because they're mad at God. They're fuming, man. They are burning up. God has treated them unjustly, unfairly. Somehow, someway, they've gotten the idea from Satan. We know who, who gave him the idea. But through a circumstance or a conversation or some conflict in their life, the Satan used it as an opportunity to sow seeds of bitterness into their heart. And boy, I'll tell you what, Satan would have a root of bitterness spring up because he understands something. When that root of bitterness springs up, it's going to choke any love and appreciation that you have toward Jesus Christ and your Savior at that time, that very moment. It'll just, it'll just drown out any love and appreciation you have for Him. You get angry at God, you get bitter at the Lord for any reason at all. And boy, the devil wins. You lose. Oh, you think you're on the winning side. You think somehow you're showing God. You somehow believe you have every right to feel the way you feel. And you take it inwardly. And in your pride and arrogance, you accept it and you receive it. And you think you deserve to feel the way you do. Let me tell you something. None of us have any right to be angry to God who first gave us life and everything that we own and have. Anything good that we have is from God. We'd have nothing without Him. Amen. Amen. And that's... I understand how, how it could be difficult. People have had tremendous loss in their lives. 
People have lost loved ones and family and friends. People have endured hardships that I can't even fathom in my life. Men and women being tortured in the name of war. I mean, people being hurt and harmed because in the name of just downright evil. I don't get it. I don't understand that stuff. I don't know why all of those things always take place. I can't give a specific answer. But I know this, it isn't God's fault and God's not in the business of hurting and harming people for the pleasure of it. But what I do know is, is that when someone gets fuming or angry toward God, it's going to keep them from obeying God immediately. And in most cases, it'll cause them to hesitate, if not simply disobey. The devil would have us believe that God's abandoned us. That he forsook us in our greatest hour of need. He is shrewd and he is subtle. Don't ever believe the lies of Satan. If only we could really understand and grasp this concept. That if I have indeed trusted God or Christ as Savior and Lord. I will stand before him one day. And when I stand before him. Do I really believe that I'll be angry at him at that moment. I mean, really. Are you serious? When all this is over, you really think you're going to stand before God and be angry at God? Being saved on your way to heaven? I'm so mad at you, God, for letting me live forever with you. I mean, you, really, you think you're going to be... I just want to go back to a, a day back here, you know, back in the past, God. Lord, I'm going to tell you, I didn't appreciate when you did this to me. You really think you're going to care about that at that moment in time? I don't think so. And I think sometimes we need to realize that there's more at stake than just the present. There's an eternity that awaits us. See, if we really believe what we believe, our hearts may break for the Cottle family, but we rejoice for little baby who will never have to endure this mess we call earth. If we really believe what we say we do. Paul asked, what shall I do, Lord? What was his response? (laughs) Simple obedience. Immediate obedience. What's your response this evening? What's my response? You know, no matter what he commands, no matter what he asks of us, we need to be willing to say, yes, sir. Ecclesiastes 12. Turn there if you would as we close. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. To think when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ that we will have allowed something in this life to have sidetracked us from being obedient to Him will haunt us. That will haunt us. The thought of that.
To think that fear kept us from obeying God. To, const- to, to really think that the flesh and what this world offers, this temporal world offers, was, was enough to sidetrack us and to distract us from obedience. To think that we were never grown up enough spiritually to recognize our childishness and our carelessness. That we just went it our way and we threw our little tantrums and we just never got past ourselves. To think for a moment that we could not remember when it got difficult in life or when we're required or expected to obey God, we said, well, we just forgot where we came from, who we were and how much we owed Him. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's get to the bottom line, he says, where the rubber meets the road. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. What's he really saying there? He's simply saying this. There is nothing more important that you could possibly do, say, think, place you could go, There's not one thing in this world, not one thing more important than obeying God. I don't care what it is, your whole purpose, your whole duty for existing is to obey God. And that's what he tells us we're to do. May God help us, like the Apostle Paul, to obey immediately without question and without reservation, to simply obey the Lord. How are you doing with that? Maybe tonight we just need to have a little bit of a gut check, like they used to say in football practice, and ask ourselves, how am I doing on this obedience thing? Where do I stand really with him? Not how well do I think I'm doing, but how well does he say I'm doing? Not how good does my wife think I'm doing, but how good's God think I'm doing? <laughs> Father, we need you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership tonight. And, Lord, again, Father, obedience. It sounds simple to say it, but.